So Mayo, I want you to take a step down memory lane and think about 15 years ago. So that would have been 2008. Were you alive? I was alive. I was, <laughs> but I was a ripe, what, 11 years old, I think. So yeah, I'd have been 14, I think 14 or 15. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So 2008 was the launch of the App Store, July 10th, 2008. So 15 years ago, Monday. So I wanted to know, Maya, what were the first apps you downloaded from the App Store? And when well, I guess was I'll, that? Well, I guess I'll start by asking you, did you actually have an iPhone at the time? Did you have it? Not Surely in, not when you were 11. No, not in 2008. Okay. I was yeah. not there on day one. Same, same. Um, I was not there for a long time, actually. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think I got my first iPhone until 5 or 5S, one, somewhere in that, in that range. So when um, was your first App Store download then? Well... Before we had the iPhone, we had the iPod Touch. Ah, yep. So that is the entrance point. Um, But that iPod Touch wasn't even mine at the time. So the first apps or downloads are actually on my mum's account. Uh, But because it was like her iPod Touch, but like she like shared it around. It was like the family Mm -hmm. one kind of thing situation. So, and we didn't even get like the first iPod Touch. So when the App Store launched 2008, we bought nothing because we didn't have an iPod product at the time. Uh, I believe what... Our introduction to the whole world was the fourth, no, the second generation iPod Touch, which we got as a hand-me-down from somebody else like a year or so after the second generation came out. So you so, never had like an iPod Nano or Shuffle or anything? We Okay, we did have iPod Shuffles. Okay. Yeah, but you couldn't get apps on them. Oh. Um, we weren't big in like music at the time, so like it was a bit weird. Like my first Apple product ever was a Mac, so it was, the, it was like an iMac thing. So it was a weird, okay. it was a weird route. Uh, You're the opposite of most people. Yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit wonky, but um, there we go. Anyway, uh, we can get into that another time. We've talked about was that before. We should do a whole history of your Apple product oh, history boy. at some point. We'll, we'll we'll roll that in sometime. We'll win maybe before the end of the year or something. I think we did it as a Christmas episode one uh, one year. Anyway, so yeah, this is on a second gen iPod Touch. I believe in around 2010, early 2010. Um. I looked up on the, I, w- I did what everybody's doing, where you go on your App Store account, you go to purchase, you scroll all the way back to have a look. Um, so for this, this was on my mum's account, but we're on family sharing, so I just clicked on her profile and scrolled all the way back uh, down to the back of the end. Uh, and the first apps that are on there are Facebook, probably not, not really much of a surprise, and then two games, which I presume is what I downloaded, uh, which was Touch Hockey and Labyrinth. Now, both these games I completely forgotten about, but these were like the games of the era because they these like touch hockey was on like every um there's an app for that advert that they did right where you know you just have like your finger at the bottom and you have a hockey park and then the the, ho- the hockey puck like bounces around that iphone screen is the hockey table and you could do like two player with the other person at the other end like this was all the rage back in the 3gs days apple apple showed touch hockey and so many adverts uh, and that was a great game at the time and then labyrinth i think was also featured by apple quite a lot but probably wasn't to the same heights of like touch hockey that was the one where it was like it was pretending to be like a fake metal ball when you had to like take it through a maze where like tilting tilting the phone tilting the ipod oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and it would have like the walls and you go through level by level, level basically recreating the big wooden ones that they make right but obviously it was digital um so that was the first downloads and i guess back then they must have been really close to the top of the free app store list for me to for me to get them uh, facebook was probably downloaded by my mum at the time and then some other apps we had that was like Kindle and stuff because uh, we had uh, Kindle books at the time. Uh, but yeah, the ones that I can distinctly remember being quote unquote mine, uh, Touch Hockey and Labyrinth. That was the that was the entrance to the App Store. 
All right. So I'm right there with you with Touch Hockey. That was my third download on December 29th, 2009. So I'm guessing I got an iPod Touch for Christmas that year, probably. Mm-hmm. Then Traffic Rush was another one, which I think it was some sort of like driving game where you had to like arrange the cars in a way that they could all get around the traffic. I'm not entirely sure, but it it lines up considering one of my favorite games right now is Mini Motorways. So I've always oh yeah, a thing for the traffic, the traffic and simulator games. Then, but first was Action Bowling Classic which I have mm. no recollection of, but I'm guessing it's a bowling game that was also probably one of the most popular apps. Oh, and apparently still on sale. Yeah, it's one of the ones. So is Traffic Rush. You can, or I can at least still download Traffic Rush, but I can't download Touch Hockey. Yeah, I couldn't find Touch Hockey. And I even Googled for like hockey game, and there was nothing that was like a good replacement for it in the modern. There are, there are versions, but they all look like terrible. They don't look... Like the Touch Hockey of 2009 looked legit, you know, like really oh, nicely yeah. rendered hockey pucks and everything. Uh, if you look on for Touch Hockey now on the App Store, you don't get anything great. Um, but yeah, this action bowling classic, I mean, the classic lives up to its name, but based oh, yeah. on these graphics, yeah. Some of the other ones, I had Unlimited Hangman. So I think mm-hmm. I probably paid for Hangman, I guess. I don't know. Uh, another hockey game, Google Earth, and then the infamous flashlight app that's in everybody's screenshots that i've seen this week yep. if there are first apps except if you're on an ipod touch because it didn't have a flashlight at the time well no this flashlight app would have been the one that lights up the screen i think <gasps> yes oh i forgot and you about could that. set it to different colors and yeah it's like the apple watch flashlight <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that is funny yeah because there was also the category of flashlight apps when the iPhone 4 added an external camera or an, ex- an external LED flash, right? Because Apple yeah. didn't offer an in- integrated flashlight button at the time. You couldn't turn on a torch like you can now. Uh, you could do it in the camera app, right? But obviously that was a pain. So there was like a whole mini ecosystem of apps that all they did was turn the flash on so you could use it as a torch. And then Apple eventually rolled it into the operating system. And now everybody walks around with their flashlights accidentally on from the lock screen shortcut, so... And it became like a cultural thing, like concerts and stuff, right? Everybody like waves their phones around and like holds up the flashlights. Like, it's funny what you think about like just never happened before because people just didn't have those things in their pockets, and now they're now they're pervasive. One other one on my list is Shazam, which January first, twenty ten. I don't think I realized that Shazam has been available for that long, but I, I remember it being like one of the apps that Apple also like advertised, and there's an app for that commercials mm-hmm. all the time but i didn't know that was 2010 yeah but that was probably shazam was probably all there because shazam shazam started as a app that you would it was uk only i believe and it was an sms thing. oh really so oh, somehow wow. somehow you'd like record an audio file on your pre-iphone and like text it to them I don't know how this worked. I guess it was over MMS, probably, right? This says Shazam started in 1999. Yeah. The first version was 2002. And it was like by a text message. No, you would call them. Call them. And they would listen to the music. They would listen for 30 seconds, then automatically hang up. And the result was sent to the user in the form of a text message. Right. Okay. 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 So it was a text service, but you actually phoned them to do the recognition. That is cool. That's hilarious. Yeah. 
yeah, so then obviously they must have been in, probably on the App Store, if not on day one. They must have been there at the beginning. Uh, yep, right July 10th, on. July 10th, 2008. So there you go. They're on day one. Wow. Wow. And yeah. then obviously Apple eventually bought them. And I'm still waiting for them to like, I want them to do the Google feature where it passively listens. Um, like on the lock screen, they have um, music recognition on on the Pixel phones where like it has an onboard database of the, the top 1,000, 10,000 songs or whatever. So if you're out and oh, about really? and the phone hears you listening, you don't even have to like initiate it. It just notes it down. And the next time you look at your phone, it says, oh, you were listening to this song in the on the radio or whatever. Do you want to add it to your library? Like Shazam was working on that feature just before they got acquired. So I was mm. like, oh, this is going to be one of the reasons they're getting acquired. They're going to roll this into the operating system, but it's, it's never happened. That sounds like something Apple just wants to avoid for privacy. But you could do it on, de- even, it's on device. Oh, yeah, but even if it's on device, they'll get, there'll be some headlines. It's no different to like Siri recognition, like listening for that. Yeah, that's though. true. Yeah. I, they should do it. Or at least if it doesn't have to be turned on by default, it could be opt-in or something like that. Like That's a cool feature. Because there is a if you're if you're like in your car or you're in a friend's car and they're just playing music on the radio or whatever, you get home, you can be like, oh yeah, I like that song, and you add it in. I wish they'd do it. There was a Shazam update last week that's pretty cool, where it can recognize songs from applications on your phone. So like if you're on TikTok or Instagram, you can initiate Shazam and it'll tell you what song is playing in that video, which I was kind of surprised hasn't been there for forever, but pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah, well, I guess that couldn't happen when it was a third-party app because they wouldn't be able to do it. But yeah, now it's true. been built into the system. It can be done. All right. So first up in terms of news this week, we have iOS 17 Beta 3, which came out last week. I know a few weeks ago we talked about how Beta 2 would be boring and Beta 3 would be exciting. <laughs> I, don't, I think we jinxed it because that's not really true. Yeah, so, Beta 3 pretty boring. I think part of the reason, though, is like there's nothing in iOS 17 that is divisive, really. Like, yeah. You know, there's not a Safari or a system settings of this generation of this OS cycle. So, like, you're not waiting for every release to see if they've, like, changed something dramatically and based on the feedback. It's just mm-hmm. all kind of stuff that's like, yeah, that's pretty neat. And they're just fixing bugs and refining stuff. And there's a few features that are all quoted for coming later in the year. So we're not really expecting them to arrive in the point zero cycle anyway. Um, so there's only really minor things they can do unless they really surprise us with something crazy. Uh, yeah. Like with the with the beta two thing, it was kind of cool when they turned on the crossfade and you could like choose the number of seconds on that slider. That was neat. Yeah. Uh, beta three again though a few a few little things, but nothing nothing wild. There's Apple Music song credits, which basically you tap on the three dots when a song's playing, and then there's a new song credits button that shows you like the producer, the people who play different instruments on that track. Apple Music's kind of always shown writing credits on the bottom of the lyrics interface but this is like a whole nother level of of detail i assume this kind of came from the work they did on apple music classical to a degree i think the interface is relatively similar to that but yeah the data feels related right yeah but i was actually been disappointed by how many songs have this data like the new taylor swift album the re-record of fearless or no speak now is it speak now i think it's yeah speak now is the one that just came out yeah but even on that one, which is one I wanted to go view, like who was playing it and how that compared to the first version of the album and all of that. But at least when I looked last week, none of those songs had the more in-depth credits. Oh. Maybe they're still um, building that up and it'll be like you'd be more responsive when 17 comes out of beta. I assume it's something that like the labels have to provide 
too. Like Apple's not doing all of it itself. I don't because that's how the lyrics are. The, mm, the lyrics Apple has like an in-house team though. I think they take the lyrics from the labels though, and then they do like the the real time. I don't know. There's some uh, with lyrics at least. Eddie Q made this big thing about we've got a whole oh, team in house right. that are like yeah. doing this stuff. With the credits, I presume there's more of a submission process. I it comes when they upload the tracks, but yeah. if that's the case, it will be like a they'll tell like the labels or whatever like this fall you need to make sure you're submitting all this information. Blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So in during the beta season, it might be more patchy. That's at least what I'd hope because uh, it makes sense for them to collect as much of that information as possible and be able to present it. Um, and they've done pretty well, like on lyrics on you know karaoke mode or the all the you know dolby atmos and losses they've had pretty good penetration of anything they've like added across the library you know it's not 100 percent, but it's it's pretty good and so i hope the same thing could be true for credits and i'd, I'd give them the benefit of the doubt that it'll be a lot yeah. more fully featured especially with new stuff like taylor swift and high profile stuff like that uh when it's actually out of beta the one thing i was disappointed with this feature is that it shows you like a table view list of the credits and the producers and everything with, you know, one per row. And they look like tappable buttons, but you can't actually tap them and do anything. So like what I wanted, for instance, was it shows the writers or the composer. And I was like, oh, I'll click on the writer and it will show me other songs they've written in the Apple Music database. But it doesn't do that. Oh, yeah. It's just static text. You can long press on it and report a concern. So if they've mislabeled it, you can, you know, report it to them. But it would be nice if it was more of like a interactive database where if you see a producer or a writer that you really like, you can then tap through and it can show you everything else that Apple Music knows about them, right? Or the other songs that they've contributed to. But that's that's not there at least. That's on something you can do in like the app, the Genius app, which is still one of the best ways to find like credits and lyrics and stuff. You can view like individual pages for different producers and writers. So, but I guess there's only so much Apple can cram into the music app itself. I don't know. Yeah, or it might be something they get to eventually, and it's just not ready for the first for the first version. I do think, like you said, we'll see more labels and artists do this because I know one of the things artists and producers have complained about with streaming music in general is that it's harder to find those full credits for things. Like when you'd buy a CD, you would take the little booklet out of the front and scroll through or flip through each page and see the lyrics and the detailed credits of who played guitar, who wrote the song, who played piano, and all of that. But until until now, that stuff hasn't really been as readily available with streaming as it was back then. Yeah, either way, it's nice they've done this. Then in the Messages app, a very small change to the new the new tray that pops up instead of the app drawer that used to be there. So for the photos icon now, it shows your latest photo instead of like a just a generic photos like a glyph that it showed before. yeah rather than like a static icon now it the it's still got like two two um two squares i trying yeah. to suggest two recent photos but the, the 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 top one now actually looks like your most recent picture that's been taken uh, which is a nice little touch because i was tracking this a bit because the the i don't mind the the new design of the, like the the overlay tray thing with the list but the icons in that screen look very alien to like the rest of ios like they don't really fit in no i don't like um, it i don't yeah it's kind of weird uh but incorporating your actual photo uh at least makes the photos one look more natural because before it was some like weird purple like pur- like purple picture but it didn't now look it makes like the, f- the photos icon look more out of place in comparison to the other ones it's a double yeah sword. all that yeah 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 and like you see like the the location one um for mm-hmm. find my whatever it looks like that should like animate and you'd have like the pulse of the blue but it's not it's just static and i think they changed like blue to gray or something but like i don't know th- those icons in that tray just feel a bit 
bit weird. I, yeah. It's like they're from a different icon set. So, yeah, like before, the photos icon was like a completely different rendering compared to just the photos app icon of the sunflower. So, like, mm-hmm. everything's a bit wonky there. Um, but I don't mind the trade design in, in general. And there was this funny thing going around on Twitter that I don't know if it's intended or not, or it's just a funny, funny happenstance that you can, you know, you can reorder the list, right? So you can choose yeah. what goes in each slot. And there's a slot that directly goes over the plus button. So like oh, yeah. you, can, you can line up the photos button to like directly be over the plus. So you like double tap the plus and it just immediately presses photos. Um, so if you want a quick shortcut to like open recent photos, that's a way to do it. I don't know if that Apple intended it and designed it that no, way on I purpose, don't. but it works. It does work. So it's pretty cool. And the photos thing is probably the one people are choosing the most. So yep. I think you're right. The interface here is kind of kind of weird, but so is the interface for the little drawer thing that used to be there. So I think I this think, is way better than the drawer. I think it's better, better than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really about it in terms of features. But then today, it's Tuesday. Uh, Apple re-released beta three with, I think, just an updated build number. And the assumption is that this is going to be what the public beta is based on whenever it comes out, whether that's later this week or next week. History would say that it'd be this week, but we haven't heard anything anything yet. But the writing is on the wall for a public beta. Yeah, and, and at WWC, Apple said July. So Yeah. In the past couple it. years, it's been it's actually been the last week of June, mm. I think. So yeah. a little behind schedule, but I'm guessing next week for beta 3 for everything, iOS, macOS, etc., they're also meant to be expanding, um, like Vision OS. You know the, oh, the yeah. opportunity to get like dev kits and those hands-on sessions and stuff in mm-hmm. in July. So I kind of wonder whether they're kind of like lining everything up to do it all in one go. Because uh, I think I saw someone on Twitter or whatever say that the SDK for Vision OS in Beta three is still Beta one. So like, oh, so really? you know they okay. they didn't have Vision they didn't have a Vision OS Beta in Seed one. Like the, the original WWDC mm-hmm. didn't have any Vision OS SDK in it. But when they did Beta 2, it added a Vision OS SDK with the simulator and everything. We talked about that. But in Beta 3, the Vision OS part of that is unchanged. So it's like it's not actually up to date yet in terms of releases. So I think they're just okay. kind of still waiting to get all their ducks in order, you know? Because there was a story this week too that Test Flight is now accepting Vision OS apps of some sort, mm. I think. So. I think it's just a, they're just that it's behind schedule probably yeah. is uh, and they're engineering wise, you know iOS, macOS, watchOS, they're all kind of on the small side of releases. Obviously, there's a lot of prioritization going into getting the Vision OS stuff ready to go for the early next year debut. Probably also explains why the betas have been boring so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like we're going to get much crazy cool stuff until like maybe the final release or even after the iPhone 15's announced and they have iPhone 15 specific features yeah. get rolled in. Uh, it's just not one of those years where there's like stuff changing dramatically every single release. And everything that they have done is kind of good. So there's not much to yeah. like knock on their door and complain about. And don't forget, they're also still beta testing what? iOS 16.6, Six. I think yeah. so. whoopee do. <laughs> yeah, thrilling stuff there. Thrilling iOS 17 betas, more iOS 16 betas. It's a fun summer. It's a very fun summer. Happy Hour this week is brought to you by Factor. Go to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use promo code happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. We're in the thicker summer and you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support your sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast. Factor meals are flavorful and nutritious and delivered straight to your door. 
you'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. Eat well without the hassle. With Factor, you don't need to spend time and energy on all the usual prep, chop, cook, serve, and clean up work. And you can skip a trip to the grocery store. Stick to your wellness goals with premium ready-to-eat meals featuring high-quality ingredients like broccolini, leeks, and asparagus. Prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has all of the ingredients that you need to feel satisfied all day long. Treat yourself to more than 34 weekly options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. It takes just two minutes to heat up a factor meal and then it's ready to eat. So you can get back outside and soak up the warm weather. As you heard on this show earlier this year, Zach got sent some factor meals and he absolutely loved them. He particularly liked their roasted garlic chicken dish and the turkey chili. You just pop them in the oven, transfer to a plate, and you can enjoy a delicious dinner with just the right portions. This July, get factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Choose your fresh flavor-packed meals and have them delivered to your doorstep. Ready in two minutes, no prep, no mess. So head to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use code happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. That's promo code happyhour50 at factormeals.com slash happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. Thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show. So Mayo, have you heard the good news about Threads? I don't know if you've been living under a rock or not. Threads is available. Is that the good news? <laughs> Threads is available, I guess. It's a so it's Meta's what is it? What do you call it? A Twitter alternative, basically from yeah, Meta. Yeah, it's 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 not quite a clone, but it's definitely a competitor. Well, if you listen to Elon Musk, Instagram poached a bunch of the engineers that he fired to build Threads, and he is going to sue Meta because of that. So, oh yeah, he's like suing for like trade secrets, right? Like what? Yeah, what trade secrets are there? It's a timeline of posts that are relatively short, and it goes you know, in some suggested order and you follow people, like you don't well, need I trade don't... secrets to build that out. Insta- he's... he's basically Instagram, exactly. but with, with no photos or, you know, with less emphasis on the photo part. And he's not suing them yet. He's threatening to sue. I'm guessing uh... Twitter probably doesn't have the money to take on Meta in a lawsuit, but that's besides the point. Yeah. But yeah, Threads, I guess, was originally supposed to launch sometime later this summer, but with all of the latest Twitter drama, they expedited the timeline. I think what really triggered that was probably the rate limiting that Twitter did last weekend, where mm-hmm. you could only view, what was it? If you weren't a Twitter Blue subscriber, it was 800 tweets a day. Well, it started like 600. It yeah, slowly so went th- up. Yeah. I think it went 600 to 800 to 1,000. Or for Twitter Blue, it was like 6,000, 8,000, 10,000. And you know what's convenient? After Threads came out, they took away the rate limits. Well, I don't think they ever properly like implemented it. It was just... So there was no rhyme or reason as to when like I would get hit by a rate limit. It would just I was getting rate limited constantly. Yeah. Constantly all day long. I would literally not see tweets for ages. Then I'd get it and then it'd go on rate limit again. I had it and I think part of it is when you're using TweetDeck, obviously it's using more API requests or whatever, because it's like streaming and updates. But like I, Twitter was like useless. It was like anybody could oh, have yeah. come along with a competitor. I literally couldn't use it. It was absolutely insane. I got to tweet like once thing an hour and then I just hoped I guess somebody saw it because I wouldn't get to see the replies for another hour. It was absolutely mental and uh, Threads definitely capitalized on that big open space. So what do you think of Threads big picture? It's been what? I think about a week from tomorrow, a week from Wednesday. Yeah, about so. a week, yeah. And it's now like the most, the fastest adopted app ever, right? It's crossed 100, 100 million in uh, yeah. signups. Which that's, did, like, that's a good number, but also you got to remember that 
anybody with an Instagram account can join with a single tap. They set it up for success, right? Oh, like, yeah. The thing with Twitter is uh, you, you, you get an account and then you have to follow, you have to kind of actively follow other people to make it work for you. If you just only, if you don't follow anybody, you just get these kind of like generic suggestions that don't feel really relevant compared to your other social networks. What they do with threads, which is quite clever, is that it automatically imported stuff from Instagram for you, you know, with your approval. Uh, the fact that the cross-promotion for Instagram got a load of people to sign up right away because they would like gamify it with the little number on the and the badge on the Instagram page. They obviously promised um, celebrity brands, like we'll make sure that you can come over here and you know, you're already getting going to use your same name, you'll carry your verification, everything will move across. You know, because when on day one, there was a fair amount of high profile people and brands and accounts posting stuff, right? So it didn't feel ever like it kind of avoided the chicken and egg problem of feeling empty. Like there was always something going on and they don't have a following feed. So you can't have an empty feed if you don't follow anybody because it doesn't exist. All you see is like recommendations and suggestions and you refresh and you see something different. And for a for a new service starting up, that is a huge like growth accelerant because if you look at compare it to like something like Twitter, it's far more um, of a cutoff point where people are going to fall out of the funnel, as it were, where, oh, you've got an account, but nobody else is here and you haven't followed anyone. So there's not really anything to do. Whereas what they did with threads is they gave you your, you know, your social graph from Instagram as much as possible. And then they kind of fused in a more like TikTok model where like you don't really have to follow anybody to like enjoy something, mm -hmm. if you see what I mean. So like they kind of really like capitalized and did it in a very clever way where they got a huge surge in launch. Uh, and, and people clearly came online. Whether people stay online and keep coming back is a different question entirely, right? Because like they, they keep advertising it on Instagram and cross-promoting and stuff. So even 100 million is really impressive, but it was clearly going to do, you know, tens of millions at, uh, at launch, right? Because it's a huge a huge thing. Facebook has like billions of users They and they, and they pushed it hard. And the fact that it got to 100 million in like a week or whatever was like really impressive. But it still would have got, I was expected to be like 50 million, you know, like it was still going to be a very yeah. big launch. For, the, for this product um, and they've, they've done well and it shows in, in the results, right? And the app as it is today is good for a 1.0, but they really need to do a lot more, I think, to like keep people coming back. Like I've already stopped look, going to it as, as much. And, oh, really? Yeah, like well, the problem with me is the lack of a following feed is actually a big turnoff. Mm -hmm. Like longer term, it's an issue because I see like, rubbish <laughs> like when it was you know like what? the first couple of days it was like oh fun here's something new refresh here's something new, something new but then you kind of get into the feed of it and it's like i've actually followed you know 25 50 people now i want to see what they're saying and you just kind of can't like it does it doesn't model twitter in that way or where, where mm -hmm. something like Mastodon definitely does right where you you follow people you'll definitely see what they're posting in like a chronological order threads as it is right now has no concept of that like the following suggest that the for you feed as it, as the only feed doesn't feel particularly targeted at me. Like I see loads of rubbish of like football accounts that I don't care about, like you know half naked girls or whatever <laughs> from like these like beauty accounts. Like you know what the I'd say probably the stereotypical like Instagram feed, right? Um, and I and to be clear, I never really use Instagram, so like I right, came here I with like no say. yeah with like no pre network of anything. Um, but I came to it as like a Twitter alternative, right? That's what I kind of wanted it to be, you know, basically like Macedon, but popular, right? Like that <laughs> yeah. was kind of what I was hoping it would it will become. As it is right now, it isn't a replacement because it doesn't have, you know, that 
concept of the feed, which definitely, which I just complimented for a minute ago for, you know, helping it have a very successful launch, which is true. But I feel like for longevity, for me, it needs to bring in, you know, either the For You feed has to get a lot more personalized and like, you know, I follow like tech people, like I follow on Twitter, like I want to see, you know, the tech conversation. And there's a, there's far more noise to signal in the For in the For You feed for me at the moment to like really make it super valuable. Um, but the balance isn't right between the balance isn't right yeah. and it's not just that random stuff appears in there it's like you refresh and the whole feed changes so like on twitter you like pull to refresh and the new stuff appears above it right so you don't really lose the context of place you can always scrub back down on threads you refresh i swear the whole thing changes and it's like what the hell is happening these things that i never even saw ever before are now in my face I, if i post something i don't immediately see people's replies to it appear in the feed if other people just posted something like i have no confidence that, that i'm actually seeing the content from the people that i'm following on there which is not yeah. the case when you're on Twitter, right? If you go on the following tab on Twitter, you 100% see it and you can scroll in one in one order. But I am hopeful that more of that will be built out because in fact, um, the Instagram CEO, Adam Mazzari, has been pretty responsive in responding to feedback on the mm -hmm. platform and he promised people that they've done chronological timelines in, on Instagram. They're going to bring one to threads as well. And if they do that, it becomes a lot more compelling for me. The thing with the chronological timeline, though, is whether it's implemented like Instagram, which is where you have to manually tap. It's like the upper right corner, I think, and then tap into following every single time you open the app, mm. which I mean, I based on what the feed is like now, I would take that option. But it would be ideal to have a default sort of like because even Twitter has the for you timeline, but then they also have the following timeline and the app at least theoretically is supposed to remember which one you prefer. And it does generally remember, mm -hmm. generally. The other thing I mean, with threads is I feel like there's slightly less of a news focus, which is fine for like a mass market thing, right? And that's probably part of their aesthetic that they're going for is they don't want it to be like, you're going to see like sad news headlines all the time or whatever. But part of my enjoyment of Twitter is like the blend of, you know, tech jokes, standard streamlined news, you know, headline news and, and that kind of thing all blended together. Because um, I have like two Twitter accounts. I have like a private one, which is like, you know, close friends or whatever. And then I have like my main one, which is like tech stuff, right? And it's that or that way oriented with, C with CNN, CNBC and stuff kind of flowing in there. The way that the threads algorithm currently works, you can't really use it to follow like news. At least I don't find that. Like, it's just more like, what are we doing today, boys? Or, you know, what's going yeah. on? And here's something fun happening. Or like, here's a fun meme that everyone's doing today, which is which is fine. It's like, but that's just like a different brand of social network, right? Like, yeah. I'd say right now it's far, it, it hues far closer to like a TikTok experience than a Twitter experience, even though it is more of a Twitter clone in form. Well, the lack of news or the lack of focus on news is something Adam Ozeri has also talked about, which I think for the general public, it's probably going to be a, a good thing. But for people like us who use Twitter, constantly to keep track of news i do worry that this is gonna mean threads will never fully replace what twitter has or at least what twitter used to have which is like the constantly scrolling chronological order of every news outlet and everything like you can't miss anything whereas with threads based on at least what they say like their goal is now that's not what they want you to to experience but another big part of that too is the lack of like a desktop app Instagram mm. or threads is only on your iPhone. It's not on the iPad, obviously, because it's Instagram and it's not on the Mac. And they even like went to the trouble of checking the box to not let you run the iPhone version of the app on an Apple Silicon Mac. Just There's like no, Instagram, right? 
Yeah, and there's no web interface really to speak of. There's an interface where you can like view links, but you can't interact or post anything. So your sole option is is the iPhone. And it's sort of like the early days of Mastodon before like Ivory and all of the good third-party apps came out. But I don't foresee Instagram focusing on a desktop experience. And there definitely won't be third-party clients for threads. So that's they'll one probably of my do biggest... a web. They'll probably do a web experience at some point. Yeah, a web experience, but not anything. Not anything native to Mac OS, you know? Yeah. I, 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 like, mean, I do I, like it, but, like, I, I mean, I've just refreshed my feed now, and I just see, like, these, like, bodybuilder stuff, which I have like, <laughs> no interest in whatsoever. You know, there's a cake. There's a picture of a cake that says, congrats on leaving that toxic relationship. It's like... Oh, congrats. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, there's just, like it's just <laughs> bizarre. I don't follow anything close to this stuff. And, like, I don't know where it comes from. It's like... It was funny. I, I posted something, like, my feed has way too many suggested posts from people I don't follow. And, like, probably, like, a dozen people responded and just said, hi, I don't follow you, but I saw this post. Yeah. And I just responded to everybody. And it's like, yeah, I guess we're friends now. Yeah, Which... and there's, like, and there's, like, like... That that kind of network can definitely exist. That's much closer to a TikTok model, right? Yeah. It's just not what I'm personally looking for in a Twitter replacement, you know? Like Yeah. And I, mean, and I use TikTok all the time and I don't think I really follow anybody. Like Yeah, but it's fun, but, right? It's do it's yeah. a different it's a different axis kind of. Uh I think my experience is probably different than yours just because I did use I do use Instagram and like I do have like a collection of friends from high school, college, all of that, who I've already had on Instagram, who are now coming mm-hmm. over to threads. So I see their stuff. I see stuff from people I followed from Twitter or Mastodon. It's kind of like worlds colliding to a degree, which I think has honestly been really fun. Like seeing people interact with my posts about tech and all of that from high school and college. Like that's been cool. It's kind of bridges the gap. But at the same time, if you, if like you said, if you're building from scratch, it's harder. Yeah. It's just it's just coming at it from different angles, right? It's like if you're fleeing Twitter and looking for a replacement, doesn't quite fit the bill. Um, and it's 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 so much better than Mastodon in terms of like there's actually people in here you know, and even That's the people thing, yeah. that are like in the text fit, I feel like of they're nowhere near as active on Mastodon as they were on Twitter back in the day. Like Mastodon oh, yeah, just feels absolutely. more dead, um, unfortunately. It feels especially uh, dead now. With- yeah, and especially dead right now. Yeah, so. Uh, threads is like a decent substitute but it's not perfect but i am hopeful that with that updates with adding stuff like a chronological timeline uh it can be a you know a good a good substitute and i'll be happy with it um it's just whether they can do that quick enough to keep people's interest i guess because you know it's been a week they haven't done an update yet we'll see when the first update comes around we'll kind of see what they prioritize in terms of rolling out stuff it is just impressive on two fronts that they expedited this launch to capitalize on everybody being angry at elon musk like this time like the latest controversy so they capitalized on that and they also got 100 million people and i mean the app was buggy and some things weren't loading but all in all it was surprisingly stable for how quickly it scaled yeah so they're, that they're obviously forgives. like on the same instagram back end as instagram in mm-hmm. many ways so like they've 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 used all the cards they've got right to make it as successful as possible I mean, for better or for worse, Meta knows how to build a social network to scale, whereas Mastodon doesn't. And that's not really the goal of Mastodon. But Elon Musk doesn't know how to do it. And I think that's showing. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, 100 million for for, for Meta is like a a rounding error. You know, Facebook and Instagram are like in the billions. It's like, well, it's 10% of that. It's like, well, okay, we'll just deal with that and carry on. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's pretty good. And even and it's it's kind of annoying because there's an iOS 17 bug where like you can't post oh, yeah. images or video and it crashes. Um, but obviously that's not their fault. They'll get that sorted out. I do think it's weird that the new post button is like grayed out. Yeah, it's weird. And some of like the animation too, when you like refresh the feed, like there's some weird interfaces. Like I love that animation and how it fills in the the thread like lines. Yeah. But I find myself constantly like thinking that that's prompting me to refresh because it's always there. So I'm constantly pulling down when I don't want to pull down just out of like habit based on how Twitter works. Which, like we said, it makes if you accidentally refresh your feed, you're screwed. Like you're, you just lost a whole bunch of content from people. So yeah, it's a it, for a 1.0, it's not bad. But I think you can clearly see that they cut a lot of stuff just to get it out oh, to yeah. capitalize Absolutely. on Twitter being stupid. And they definitely did that, and they definitely succeeded, <laughs> right? Elon Musk um, is not very happy. Like I don't even think we should repeat some of the things he said on Twitter. On, a, on this family-friendly family, like, family friendly podcast. And there is some stuff where, like, TweetDeck was broken last week. Like, old TweetDeck was broken last week. Threads comes out. Suddenly, they make TweetDeck work again. It's like, you know, yeah. I feel like some of this is definitely a... Guys, we don't want you to go. Please stay. We'll, we'll <laughs> just we'll, we'll roll it back a bit. Because, like, I do feel for the brands at the moment who are, like, with no web experience or other way to access it. They must be just having one person with an iPhone logged into the, you know, the Nike account tweeting. Yeah. It's like... You know, it's, it's early days or whatever, but they'll they'll build that stuff out. I'm sure for brands and stuff, they can add like a posting backend via Instagram or something eventually. Yeah. So what does your breakdown of like these social networks look like now? Because we have Mastodon, Twitter, Threads, and then I guess we still have Blue Sky, which I don't know if Blue Sky is long for this world, but yeah. what is your, how is your attention being divided? I mean, I kind of check them all. Yeah, still. But it's not a sustainable equilibrium. Like, right. It's a intermediate situation where, you know, obviously my biggest following is still on Twitter, so that's a that's a factor, right? Like, if I post something on Twitter, I still get more engagement than if I post it on Threads or Mastodon. It's just a reality really? of having 26,000 versus, you know, 2,000, 1,000 or whatever. Um, even, like, even given the massive drop-off in, us- in usage of Twitter yeah, that's recently, right? Yeah, like I'd say, like it, get, it gets less than it ever did before, and also I'm no, I'm not verified on Twitter anymore, so I don't get like the, the algorithm bump that is yeah. a huge, like you know, Elon's basically like trying to strong arm you to pay eight dollars so you will get like more promotion on people's times and stuff, which I refuse to participate in. <laughs> but even ignoring that, I still get more engagement, I'd say, on Twitter than I do on either of the other two platforms. I think on Threads, I would actually get more engagement if people actually regularly saw my stuff that I was posting there, but they're refreshing and inevitably someone else's stuff is going to be at the top of their timeline. So following timeline has a big factor there. Um, Macedon. Macedon feels pretty good. And like, it, obviously it's only for like, you know, nerdy, geeky stuff because nobody else is, nobody from the real world's on there. Um, mm-hmm. But right now I'd say I'm kind of just juggling all three. And I just kind of okay. check Twitter, then I check Macedon, then I check thing, and I'm posting to all three because, like, I haven't, I haven't felt the need to fully abandon. T- I still have, or maybe I'm misguided, but I still have this kind of small sliver of hope that like Musk is going to get bored and sell Twitter to somebody else, and then I'll make it like perfect again. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe that's that's probably a fantasy dream, but uh, I think so. Yeah, like it doesn't feel like at the moment that. Macedon nor Threads is fully satisfying what Twitter was to me, and maybe that will never happen no. because Twitter was like a specifically unique thing. But Threads is not bad, but it needs a lot of work for me to like fully dive in and 
and be like enough to cut Twitter off. Because I don't want to be one of the kind of people who like says I'm fully leaving Twitter and then like a week later you come back to it. You know, like I'm not. That's just not how I go. I've like if I'm leaving it, I'm leaving it, right? Unless yeah. something crazy happens. Yeah. So I was like that with Mastodon too. Like loads of people were promoting Mastodon in like October, November time frame. And at the time I was like, there's no way I'm going to use this thing. You know, I'll just let it slide on by. And eventually it got to a point where I think it was when Elon started blocking people from sharing their other accounts. So I was like, oh, this is it. Oh, yeah. right? we got, mm-hmm. I got I, I got to do it. And I have and I've committed to it. That's, you know, I don't tell people to follow it there for no reason. Um, but it did mean I missed out on some of the initial bursts of people using those converting Twitter account to Macedon follower, you know, automatic things. So like, so I missed out on some of that growth or whatever, but you know. I'm I'm old enough now not to care too much about the exact number. Um but yeah. So like I don't know. At the moment I'm still using all three, but I'm I recognize that there's no way that's gonna be a long term sustainable thing. I think what's probably gonna happen is that Mastodon's gonna go away first and it'll be Twitter and Threads for a while. And then I think so. hopefully Threads improves to the point where Twitter Twitter goes away too. Uh again, I if Elon Musk wants to fix you know, his stupidity or wants to sell it and make it good again, I would be open to going back and I'm sure other people would come back in droves. Uh, but I just think the chance of that happening is low. You? What's, what's your I, situation? I think I'm mostly in the same boat as you, but the thing that differs probably is on different platforms. So on, when I'm at my Mac, I'm still using Twitter, usually now via TweetDeck on the web, which is a whole nother story for another day about how bad yep. that is. But then I'm still checking Mastodon using ivory on a semi-regular basis but not as often as i was before threads but then again coming back to the lack of threads access on the desktop i'm still using threads on my phone but during the day i'm not using it super regularly but then when i leave my mac for the day it's pretty much exclusively threads not really opening twitter on my iphone very much i'm not really opening ivory on my iphone so when i'm on my phone it's pretty much all threads and I would say, too, that Threads is where I'm posting the most. I'm really not posting that much on Twitter right now. I don't know. That might change. I'm not leaving in protest yet. But it feels like most of the people I want to interact with and who I want to see my stuff are on, are really on Threads. And a subset of them are still on Macedon, and most of them are on both. So yeah, I'm having the most fun with Threads right now. But long term, I don't know how things are going to shake out. Because the thing about Mastodon that really prevented it for me for never becoming a Twitter replacement was just the lack of some like sports accounts and yep. celebrity news and that the gossipy side of things and all of that's on is already on Threads. Like I can go like to it's, Threads. It's, it's, obviously, there's a whole like um, subtree of stuff, but like for a dumb example, Tim Cook is never going to be on Mastodon. You know, yeah. Like, well, Phil Schiller. But is. you can, but you can see him joining Threads at some point. Yeah. Um, no. But like, I can go to Threads and know I'll probably see like details on the latest baseball game or whatever whereas i won't get that on mastodon yeah there's no sports accounts no news accounts and there were that like on mastodon there are some like relay things that people have set up where they like repost the news from other places but mm-hmm. the thing that made it magic on twitter was that like you'd have the big accounts the big like bbc news you know blah 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 and everyone would then be replying to that so you'd have conversations in the replies of the bbc news comment those yeah. kind of things never took off on mastodon because there was like 10 different relay services and no one ever would standardize on one in particular uh, that problem doesn't exist on threads because you just have bbc news for instance posting themselves i just wish i could see it reliably <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's, ba- it's it's version one they've done well for version one uh, i hope it sticks around and i hope they bring out a load of feature updates that make it better for me um and we'll see how it goes
I think it's here for for the long haul. I don't think it's going anywhere. Even if it like quote unquote failed, they'll just roll it into the main Instagram app and it can be like a sub tab or something. Like if it doesn't justify its existence as a standard app, it can be a separate tab perfectly perfectly adequately. Um, I'm surprised that there's not more readily available like I don't know, like content or access to threads from the main Instagram app because really right now it's just yeah, it right now it's just that badge on people's profiles. They haven't really they could throw up a splash screen that showed up every, like when you opened Instagram and say check out threads, but they haven't done that yet. Yeah, they will. And I wouldn't be surprised that within a year they start showing like threads content directly in Instagram too. Yeah. Cross pollinate and stuff. Like they do make it easy to share from threads to your Instagram story, but that's about it right now. Yeah. More to come there for sure. If they, they, they obviously rushed this out to get it to capitalize on Twitter being stupid and they 100% succeeded. Happy Hour This Week is also brought to you by Ladder. If you're anything like me, you have a certain tendency to put things off until the very last minute. Dentists, opticians appointments, filing taxes, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's generally fine, but you shouldn't mess around and wait when it comes to life insurance. Get term coverage life insurance through Ladder today. Go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour to see if you're instantly approved. You know, I started needing glasses uh, last year and it was kind of a moment that hit me like... I'm getting older, and stuff like life insurance somehow feels immediately more relevant. Life insurance gives you peace of mind to know that your family will be taken care of if the worst happens. Ladder is a 100% digital service when you apply for $3 million in coverage or less. That means no doctors, no needles, and no paperwork. It's all done online. You just need a phone or laptop to apply. You fill out Ladder's application form, and their smart algorithms will work in real time and tell you instantly if you're approved. And Ladder has no hidden fees and you can cancel at any time. Get a full refund if you cancel within the first 30 days. And Ladder's policies are, ins- are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. And Ladder's customers rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. If you've been thinking about getting life insurance, Ladder is the place to do it. If you aren't sure but you just want some more information, go on Ladder's website, fill out their online calculator, and you can see the costs and terms of the plan with no commitment. And as the cost of life insurance goes up as you age, now is the time to act and get it done. So go to ladderlife.com slash happy hour today to see if you're instantly approved. That's spelled L-A-D-D-E-R-L-I-F-E dot com slash happy hour. One more time, ladderlife.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Ladder for sponsoring the show. So Bloomberg has a new report kind of going in depth on Apple's retail plans for Vision Pro, basically calling it the most complex rollout of a new product to Apple stores ever. And the gist of it really is that with so many moving parts to buying a Vision Pro, so that includes things like demos, sizing, all of the different variants of sizing that stores will have to keep in stock for try-on, but then also for the ultimate purchase at the end of that process, And so for all of that reason, Bloomberg says that appointments will be required for retail purchases. So you can't just walk in and buy one and that they're going to be focusing primarily at the start on big areas like New York and Los Angeles. And I think this also dovetails into why it's U.S. only at the start, because this sounds this sounds like chaos to me. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so stressful. And so there's so much to it. There's so yeah. much to it. I mean, Mark literally says it will represent the most logistically complex rollout I've ever yeah. done for an Apple product. Um, yet. He says yet, which uh, is a bit ominous for the future. Um, yeah. but Apple at least right now, the headset, hard. Yeah, the car's going to be hard too. But at least right now, the, the headset is the focus. 
And this is the kind of thing where if this thing was like selling more than, you know, 300, 400,000 units in a year, it would be like impractical. Uh, but the fact that they can start small, it lets them get away with a lot. And so you can't have a product in high demand require appointments to buy at the Apple store. They just aren't the staff no. to let people buy it, right? Like if you required an appointment to like buy a phone and every appointment took like 20 minutes, you know, the stores would have like four sales a day and everyone else would be stuck standing around. Like people already get so mad about having to have an appointment to get things fixed. Like people, yeah, exactly. People like, let's buy it, right? Things. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've heard before how Apple kind of has ex expectations they might sell one per store per day, you know, as low as that. And so in those cases, you can dedicate one person to, you know, do a demo for a decent amount of time, you know, do a try on, you know, size out the different bands and talk through all the accessories, get it done, wait around while they ship it, give it to you and you can walk out of the store. And if they're only going to sell, you know, one or two per day, they don't need a massive area of the store dedicated to it. They can just have a little corner like the logistical complexity is mitigated by the low demand and the low sales, right? At least on this version. It'll become a bigger problem in the future when they start selling in the millions. Um, but for now, they can go this way. And it also means that, at least for version one, it's a brand new product. People have no idea what kind of head sizing they have. You know, mm -hmm. what do they need? What kind of accessories do they need? What particular sizes do they need? So everyone buying it is brand new. And Apple wants to make sure that people are buying the right things so they don't get loads of returns. So you do it in retail. You will be able to buy online if you really, really want to, but they're going to encourage retail sales by appointment only. You come in, you're going to get size for many different sizes of headband, many different sizes of light seal, maybe the top strap as well, depending on how that turns out, because even in this report, um, Mark says the top strap is not finalized, so that's still in flux a bit. And then you have to consider prescription lenses if you wear glasses. Uh, German says Apple stores will likely have to keep hundreds or thousands of lenses in stock just to account for all the different varieties for people that are coming in. They also need to maintain excess stock of headbands and light seals in case customers want to buy more than one, right? So like if you uh, are yeah. thinking about sharing it amongst a family at home, you might want to buy two different headbands and two different light seals and maybe screen protectors and and there's and other accessories too. Uh, Apple said in this, in um, Apple's reportedly working on a, uh, working with accessory makers to make pouches for the battery pack. So like if you're a female who doesn't have... Um, pockets or you have specific cultural apparel based on your religion you might not have a position on your body to put the pack away like obviously if you're a man and you've got jeans or something you can just slip it in your pocket but that's not and that's not everyone and one of the mitigations apple's uh exploring there is working with accessory makers to make pouches that can kind of clip onto your shoulder so that's where the battery pack would go if you can't slip it into your pocket um and that's just one of the example accessories he talks about so there's like you have the headset and then you have this whole mini ecosystem around it, which most of those things are sized to fit the individual person. So you need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of SKUs. It's mm -hmm. way more complicated than like the Apple Watch where you have the watch and then some bands that go with it. You know, like the 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 the, the multiplicative complexity in terms of number of, of options here is wild. Um, and it's all made possible by the fact that they're not going to sell very many at the moment. And they're only starting US only. And it's only going to start in big markets, but then it will roll out to the small markets eventually. Um, the complexity of this says it precludes uh, third-party retail availability, at least for the first year, Mark says. And he says at least until 2025, so it could be longer. Uh, you'll only be able to buy the Vision Pro either online or in an Apple store. I mean, they don't even let third-party retailers like Best Buy sell the like the solo loop Apple Watch bands, which come mm -hmm. in multiple sizes because they... 
that even when they announced those, those were kind of complicated to sell and especially people buying online bought the wrong sizes and all of that mess. But I, I do think with, with vision pro it's interesting that they're even going to let you buy it online. If the process is so complex and they want to minimize returns, I imagine that they'll make available. The one thing German talks about is the app that Apple will use to scan your face, to get the, to estimate the proper sizes for things like the headband and the top strap and the light seal. So I imagine if you're buying online, you'll just download that onto your phone and complete the scan. But that's putting a lot of trust into people to to do it correctly and for the phone to be 100% accurate. Because the last thing you want is for people to return these at incredibly high rates. They're going to encourage retail, I think. At least at the beginning. Then when they get, you know, get some practice underway, then they can you know, more push out the online sales and expand to other markets like the UK and Canada, Goldman says, is what Apple's currently targeting for the first round of expansion past the US. Because remember, it's US only early next year, by the end of next year, other countries. So for me, if it's not available in any stores in Texas, is my only option going to be to take the risk and buy it online, I guess? And are you going to do that for a three and a half? I know, that's, that's the question. It's, I mean, in a way, this is sort of like apple artificially limiting demand even more than demand yep. would already be low so it it all makes sense but i'm i think we talked about this a few weeks ago too it's just gonna be so hard that i don't i i don't foresee how apple is ever gonna fully solve the logistical problems of this you know it's a whole new you have era to, you have to attack it gradually i think this yeah. is step one the second generation model is still not going to sell in you know, huge volume, still relatively small. So you go from 400,000 to, you know, maybe 2 million or something, and then you slowly build up from there and you learn. Yeah, I don't think we talked about the Financial Times report was that last week where they said shipment estimates or ship production rates had been cut from like a million to 400,000. So that's another big limitation on the demand. And they said that's because of the, primarily because of the complexities of making the 4K screens. Yeah, and then Ross Young kind of, intimated that like i think a month ago he said he would he said sony had capacity for like three hundred thousand, so he wasn't clear mm-hmm. apple was getting the rest of the demand for the rest of the available supply from uh and turns out well they probably aren't they're just not making very many <laughs> and apple needs two of those for every vision pro that it wants to sell and they they reportedly asked sony to increase production and sony refused um probably because they're apple's the only customer at the moment so it's too expensive for them to expand the production line just for them mm-hmm. um but again these are things that eventually they will work themselves out yeah, but yeah it's a long road like people have to prime themselves this is not a smash hit product it just isn't it's a very very yeah. gradual very very slow slow build so mayo we have some we have some apple tv plus news about some of the first apple originals getting full three act theatrical runs so that's killers of the flower moon and napoleon is that right Yes, yeah, yeah, this is this is cool, right? So the the theatrical runs were like announced because at the beginning of the year in January, Bloomberg said Apple was going to dedicate a billion dollars a year to making original films for the for the theaters first, and they were partnering. They're looking for a long term distribution partner, but in the short term, they're just kind of like ad hoc making deals for each film they've got coming up that they want to go to th- cinemas. So, Kills the Flower Moon is with Paramount because that's part of the original deal, um, and then Napoleon 
was assigned was a partnership with Sony Pictures. And since then, they've also announced that Argyle, which is like this spy thriller with um, mm. Henry Cavill and Dua Lipa and the Breaking Bad guy. What's his name? I've forgotten. Brian Cranston, right? Yeah. Loads of loads of big names. Uh, that's coming out in February next year. Um, and that's with Universal. So they're kind of picking and choosing distribution partners at the moment. They're probably trying to negotiate for the best deal they can. And then at some point, they're going to pick a partner to work with long term because releasing movies in theaters is complicated. A bit like the Vision Pro rollout, right? Like, you, have yeah. to, you know, going to thousands of cinemas worldwide requires a lot of you know, communication, it requires a lot of expertise, knowledge. So like these movies, these traditional movie studios have, you know, hundreds of employees that their only job is to manage the releases of this stuff around the world. And Apple doesn't have that. And they don't seem to have any inclination to build it out themselves. So they're working on these partners, they're working on, on this partnership model. Um, so the first the first film will be Killers of Flower Moon, which comes out in October in wide theatrically. And, and every time I talk about this, people are like, Apple films are coming out of the cinema before. It's like, yeah, but they come out in very limited number of screens to get awards legibility. So like the banker mm-hmm. came out in, you know, March twenty twenty or whatever, and it was in like fifty theaters in the US for like a week. That's not what we're talking about here. These are big theatrical releases on the same scale of, you know, top films like Top Gun and stuff, you know, like So So why are they doing it then? If it's if they don't need to release in this wide of a theatrical run for awards. Is it just for like the glitz and the glamour of it all? I think it's marketing. Like marketing. Okay. I think if you bring a film exclusively to Apple TV plus first, not many people know about it. Like, you know, Netflix doesn't have the same pressure because they got 250 million subscribers. Right. So like they can yeah. put a film on Netflix and people are going to watch it. You bring a film to Apple TV Plus, you're paying for advertising already because, you know, they have social media marketing and TV ads and stuff, all this stuff. But it doesn't have the same credibility that I think as if you can take to the cinemas first. Like, Killers of the Flower Moon, you know, it's going to be a huge hit in theatres. At least Apple's hoping it'll be a big hit. You know, when I say big hit, this is a, you know, these kind of films are not like marvel films right like you know if it does 100 million 200 million it'd be considered a success and so they can take it to theaters they can they can build buzz they can build audience you know a million people can see it in theaters first for the month two months it's exclusive theaters and then when it comes to streaming all those million people who saw it and hopefully liked it can be like i love this film and now you can watch it here blah 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 it, it builds up the buzz even more so that when it does land on tv plus more people will see it than if it just launched on tv plus alone i think that's the yeah. idea and they can um, chivy favor with Hollywood, right? Because a lot of Hollywood creators do like the theatrical window. So Apple supporting cinema in a big way does help with that. It helps them garner new talent and projects. And if they, you know, if the films are relatively success, 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 uh, successful, they'll um, make some money on it, right? Like, and if you're a traditional film studio whose profits rely on having a big theatrical drop to actually make your money back and make a profit, you would probably not make 200 million dollar films like killer the flower moon and napoleon right because they're just not expected to make their money back but if you're apple if you were going to put them on streaming anyway and basically already footing the cost of them if you put them in theatrical let's say they make 200 million you have to share revenue with the theaters because that's how the thing works and you have to pay for marketing for theaters but you know let's say you make 50 million profit on it that's 50 million you didn't have right like so you, yeah. you've built marketing more marketing than if it had gone to streaming directly You've, you've made some money back that you can then reinvest into future stuff and you've made talent happy. So like, I feel like it's a pretty big win. Um, you know, if they if these films come out and nobody goes to the cinema to, to, the cinema to see them, then it'll be a big flop. But I don't think that's going to happen. 
And the Apple strategy is also being adopted by Amazon and others. They're all doing this now where they're taking their biggest releases to cinemas first before they land on streaming. Netflix hasn't said they're going to do this, uh, but they might change their mind too. But Netflix is a different kettle of fish because they are so much bigger. Like Their scale means that they don't need to build marketing at cinemas, whereas Apple really does. Because TV Plus subscribers' num- subscriber count is still relatively low. Like, you know, Apple doesn't say it, but you can tell. If a film comes exclusive to TV Plus, most people you talk to haven't heard about it. But if this works, when Killers of the Flower Moon is on TV Plus in January, it will be in the culture, at least, of, to some degree, and a lot more people will know about it and go and see it, either in cinemas or on streaming. And I think Apple will be happy with both outcomes. Because a lot of people that see it on the cinema will then want to watch it again when it comes on streaming. Um, and vice versa. So I think it's I think it's a good strategy. If they're going to make these bigger films, they might as well take them to cinemas too. And they're doing it seemingly now for every big release they've got coming up. Uh, and I did think it was interesting that the trailers came out so much earlier than the films because like these two films, yeah. the trailers came out last week, uh, but they don't actually hit theatres until October and November. And most Apple originals, their trailers come out about a month before they hit the streaming service, right? About a month before release. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like many months before. But I think the reason for that is this if they're doing the traditional theatre rollout, they're also going to traditionally show these trailers as ads before other films. Yeah, so true. Oppenheimer and Barbie, you know, pretty big releases coming out in a week or so's time. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Killers of the Flower Moon on a Napoleon trailer in the ads before those are before those are shown. So I think they're they're embracing this full fully wholeheartedly, and uh, I, th- I reckon it's probably a pretty good bet of working out. Which one of the, these Killers of the Flower Moon or Napoleon are you most excited about? Oh, it was Killers of the Flower Moon, but then the Napoleon yeah. trailer came out. I was actually pretty impressed by it. So the thing with Killers of the Flower Moon is three and a half hours. It's pretty damn That's long. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Napoleon's two and a half hours. So it's a lot more palatable. Um, and, but I mean, I'm down for both of these things. I think, they, I think they're great films, or at least based on the trailers alone. So uh, I'll definitely watch them. I don't know if I'll go to the cinema or not to see them, but no. Yeah. Uh, Especially for a three and a half hour movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> although some of the theaters now have those nice chairs, the reclining chairs, the good screens. And both of these films, this shows how committed Apple is to this. These are going to IMAX screens too. Oh, really? Um, okay. Which I believe it might be. It, I couldn't I couldn't confirm this, but it's one of, if not the first, streaming movie to be on IMAX. Like, So like a, a movie made by a streaming service. Yeah. They do not normally have IMAX releases. Um. So yeah, both both Killers of the Flower Moon and Napoleon are getting thousands of screens worldwide and IMAX releases, and they haven't said they haven't announced streaming dates yet for these things, but it'll be thirty to sixty days after, most likely. That's a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, modern modern in modern cinema, that's like average now. Like most films get yeah. forty five days. So, um, and for to be eligible for awards, you have to be in like ten screens in the US for like a week. So oh, they're doing okay. they're doing way more than the minimum yeah. eligibility. Finally, this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by Roborock, the epitome of home cleaning innovation. Roborock invites you to discover a world of convenience and efficiency with a relentless commitment to research, development, and production. Roborock excels in creating advanced robotic cordless and wet dry vacuum cleaners. Roborock products are meticulously designed to solve genuine problems. Everyone would rather do less cleaning, and that's exactly what Roborock strives for. This Prime Day, unlock incredible savings on a wide selection of Roborock models. Experience the future of home cleaning while enjoying discounts of up to 45% off. So upgrade your cleaning routine. 
Roborock robot vacuums automatically navigate your home, leaving no corner untouched. Say goodbye to manual vacuuming and hello to more free time. Take advantage of Roborock's prime deals up to 45% off and discover the remarkable benefits of Roborock for yourself. Shop now and transform your cleaning routine. Thanks again to Roborock for sponsoring the show. So we have some new Ask 9to5Mac questions that we're going to hit. First, we have Bald Dog on Threads. He wants to know our favorite iOS 17 feature. Oh, correct. Autocorrect, really? It's got to be. I love it. I think it's great. So It's good, but the thing I feel like has gotten worse is the swipe keyboard. For some yeah, reason, I don't the, swipe too much. See, I swipe quite a bit, and it feels worse. But when you're typing, the new autocorrect is good. Then the thing with the new autocorrect is they obviously made a big deal about it being based on you know new transformer algorithms because they wanted to mm-hmm. get on the AI hype. And it's definitely true. The predictions themselves are better and cleverer um, and feel more personalized to you and what you say. But a lot of the improvements to autocorrect are just a UI improvement. Like the fact that when you can, that it, it underlines the word that has changed and you can tap on it. And if it's made the wrong decision, you can just click the little X and it will revert it. It will show you what's the word that's being completed as a little like grayed out text as you're typing. You just press space bar to immediately fill it in. Like the, the, the cleverer prediction algorithm is part of it, but a lot of it's just the fact they made the UI better in terms of managing it. So if it does make a mistake and autocorrect wrong, you can actually fix it without being frustrated. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I, and uh, when they announced this in June, um, uh, in the keynote, it was one of the things where it's like, everybody talks about autocorrect on the iPhone could be a lot better. And they announced it. I was like, yeah, but is it actually going to be noticeably better? Or are they just saying it, you know, like, are we yeah, actually going to feel a difference or is it just like, they, oh, it's, it's based on a new machine learning model, but then you use it day to day and it's like the same, but I can categorically say, no, this is way better. It's partly better algorithms, but partly just better UI. I think I'm going to go with some of the changes to the music app. I think that starts with Crossfade, which we've talked about quite a bit, something that should have been on Apple Music for years, and it's finally here. Just it, I like how it just blends everything together, and it matches how I listen to music on Apple Music on the Mac. But then also the credits thing, like we talked about earlier this episode, and CarPlay has SharePlay for Apple Music too, which I wrote about this a couple weeks ago how you can scan a QR code and have somebody join your CarPlay session and add their songs to the Apple Music queue. And it even works like remotely. So I took a screenshot of the QR code on CarPlay and sent it to Zach. Then he just tapped on the QR code on his iPhone and it took him right to the music app. And he was able to like add songs and take over playback. I just think this is a really cool feature and it's going to be it's going to be even better for road trips and just making things more enjoyable. Then in a similar vein to, I mean, collaborative playlists and Apple Music, finally. Well, not in iOS 17 yet. It's one of the things Apple says is coming later this year. But that's something long overdue. Yeah, that's a big it's, finally when it arrives. Yeah. It just feels like they finally took a year to address some of those long-standing complaints like crossfade and collaborative playlists and didn't do a whole lot, but they did much needed finally features like you said yeah and one other small thing apple music changed is the now playing ui now integrates the kind of animated album art they have oh, yeah. on a lot of newer songs mm-hmm. and the 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 you know it's just a visual thing but it looks a lot nicer and so i like that too and similarly too widgets are interactive which benefits apple music quite a bit yep. too good year for apple music and for autocorrect on threads nathaniel health wants to know 
what's coming in terms of smart home tech from Apple. This kind of relates to what we talked about uh, last week or the week before about Apple's smart external display type thing that Bloomberg worked on, reported on. Yep. And I think at the time we kind of said that it doesn't seem like Apple entirely knows what it wants to do. There's some obvious things like Bloomberg has also reported on the smart home display kind of based on the iPad form factor. But beyond that, it doesn't seem like anything concrete is in the works. And even that is said to be like next year at the earliest. Yeah, I think they, I think it's a ways off, but you can see what they did as a, um, like in the absence of hardware being ready, what they did from a software side this year with the iPhone integration in two places. So one, you have standby mode, right? Mm-hmm. Which can very clearly become a dedicated smart display product. And Apple's even basically faking it by selling or going to sell these mounts that you can use to like, you know, dock your iPhone and then it becomes a standby system, but just have a screen that isn't an iPhone and you could have that as a dedicated standby device. 100% that's in the works. Just so basically a HomePod with a screen, uh, but not ready this year, maybe not ready next year. Uh, and then secondly, continuity camera on Apple TV, right? Oh, yeah. So that they're again going to have like, you know, they're going to work with partners to sell you docs that you put in front of your TV and you get a FaceTime experience through the Apple TV. But the way you do it right now is with, you know, docking your iPhone in front of the TV, which is just inelegant. A much better solution would be some sort of living room thing that is an Apple TV and camera combined. And we've heard of exactly rumors of this before where they're going to join together a FaceTime camera, an Apple TV, and a soundbar to give you like this home theater thing that you can go in your living room. And it does everything, including FaceTime, as well as Apple TV stuff, and gives you a nice sound experience. So those are the two big things I'm anticipating coming from the pipeline in terms of smart home hardware from Apple. But it's just a matter of when. And I don't think it's anytime soon. Easily at least a year, probably two years away. Yeah, I'm not hopeful that anything is in the pipeline for like this year. I'm just, I still can't even believe we got the HomePod second generation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, well, that's how desperate we are, I guess, is how happy we were with that announcement. Then last but not least on Macedon, Tim Shayton wants to know, do you think Apple Vision Pro will come in the same four storage options as the macbook air so that's 256 512 one terabyte or two terabytes or with supply supply chain constraints will they just focus on one or two different options my assumption here thought about my assumption here based on what we just talked about with the retail thing is i'd be surprised if there's even two options yeah i i believe the rumor is that it's a 512 gigabyte ssd inside so you don't get um, to choose your Apple Watch storage size. You don't. But they did say starting at thirty four ninety nine, so yeah. maybe there's a higher tier option that you could buy that if you really, true. really want to spend more money. Um, in time, you know, future generations, of course, they're going to have different storage sizes and different upgrade options because they're pushing this as a standalone independent computer. The Apple Watch is an yeah. iPhone accessory. The, the Vision headset is meant to be a replacement for your laptop eventually, right? So like, just like an iPad where they sell you different storage sizes, the Vision OS headset will eventually come in different storage sizes so you can store your content and do your work all on device. I don't think that's a priority for generation one. I think they, you know, I was kind of joking when I said the starting at reference because I think <laughs> most likely it's just going to be 512 and that's it for this, for yeah, this cycle. I think so. But in the future, 100% they'll make 
multiple sizes and let you choose and you can pay more to you can pay more for apple's exorbitant storage upgrade costs do you think they'll ever do more configuration options than just ssd storage like ram or processor upgrades because even on the ipad they don't advertise ram differences even though they do have ram differences (laughs) yeah you get the extra ram if you buy the one terabyte but you you don't if you just buy the lower end. Yeah. I think I think the iPad's a good template here. That's what so I was thinking. Yeah. If you buy more storage, you'll get a better spec model in general. Uh, but I wouldn't anticipate that until, you know, Gen 2 or Gen 3 for this headset in the first place. Especially Gen 1. It's going to be 512 gig SSD. And that's it. I feel like we haven't made Vision Pro sound very appealing this episode between explaining how hard it's going to be to buy, how limited the options are, and how you might only want to buy one if you live in like two different cities. But I mean, we kind of spoke about this when we did the Vision Pro exclusive episode, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. it's cool, but there's a lot of asterisks. And as as time goes on, more of those asterisks are, are highlighted. <laughs> yeah. The the initial shock wears off and reality. Real reality, not real reality. reality sets in. The hype will be back when we're closer to release. That's true. Yeah. Well that that is kind of something I said when I think in that same episode. Apple needs to needs to like keep promoting Vision Pro, you know? They yep. can't just go radio silence, radio radio silent and give us this time to to change our minds and become doubtful of the product. I reckon September, October, November time, after developers said a bit longer to work on stuff over the summer, they'll do like a press release which is like developers are already jumping into augmented reality with Apple Vision Pro and they'll do some like online video demos of stuff that you can yeah. anticipate doing when it ships and then obviously they'll have another event in the spring all right i think that does it for this week's episode as always if you like the show you can find it in apple Podcasts app and leave us a rating and a review you can also subscribe to an ad free version of the show for five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year can send us feedback via happy hour at nine to five mac.com. You can follow me on Mastodon, Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> and threads at chance H Miller, where you can also give us nine to five, ask nine to five Mac questions and Mayo, where can they find you or where can't they find you? That might be easier. <laughs> uh, open your social media app of choice and look for at BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks Mayo. Bye-bye.